we encourage you to um, find your way to God's Word. This morning, we are considering John chapter 3, verses 31 to 36. So we'll be finishing John chapter 3. Of course, this is a very famous passage, right? John 3.16 is right there. Uh, right before that is, is Jesus and Nicodemus. You must be born again. And Jesus describing so clearly his cross-coming ministry as he talked about Moses and the serpent in the wilderness. And then we, we went back to John the Baptist. And so our text is John chapter 31 to 36. But we're going to um, start at verse 22 for context. That's where we were last week. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. And now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And the one who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I've mentioned it before in chapter 3, there's some questions. Where does Jesus uh, stop talking and when does John the Apostle kick in and when does John the Baptist kick in? Um, John, obviously, we see where John the Baptist is speaking, starting you know, in that section that, about John the Baptist and his disciples. And I would say probably we're continuing to see through the end of the chapter uh, the words of John the Baptist. Or as I said, we might do through this book, Gospel, there's John A., the apostle who writes, and John B., John the Baptist. And so I would say this probably, uh, this is the continuing teaching of John the Baptist to his disciples. I have to say right away, as, as, as one who teaches God's word, um, I am very impressed with John the Baptist. Can you imagine after his 
all that time explaining and teaching to his disciples, and they come to him and are upset because Jesus is getting greater glory. I could see a lot of reactions. John throwing up his hands and saying, forget it, I'm out of here. No one listens. I've spent all this time teaching. Even my own disciples don't get it. I can see him chewing them out. Read my lips. I'm not the Christ. He is. How in the world am I supposed to get greater glory than the Messiah? What is wrong with you people? It seems to me there's a, there's a little clip of, of uh, R.C. Sproul at some conference and someone asks a question. And he says, what is wrong with you people? John is so much more gracious. And so he just, he starts laying it out. What have I told you? I'm not the Christ. I'm pointing to the Christ. You know, he is the Christ. And then he says those glorious words that really could, should be a motto and a theme for each and every one of Christ's followers. He must increase, but I must decrease. More of him, less of me. More of him, less of me. Well, then John goes on to explain even more significantly. He's greater than I'm, he's been saying. He, he, he's the Messiah. I'm the, I'm the herald of the Messiah. I, I can't, can you imagine, for example, there is a, a herald you know, that goes before the king or queen and announces the king coming uh, into the room. Or, in our context, maybe a secret service agent getting miffed because everyone's going over to, to shake hands with the president, not one person goes to shake his hand. If he went and complained to his supervisor, he'd probably be unemployed. <laughs> you don't get it. So John is trying to, so, but, but now he will go even further and say, let me under, help you understand who Jesus is. And see, that is the issue. Who is Jesus? That's why John begins. John begins. We don't get out of the first verse before he has, he has told us the most important thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the eternal God. And there he introduces the concept of Trinity. He is truly God, and the Father is truly God. And they have eternal fellowship together. Now John will help us further understand and we'll see some of that in, in our passage before us, showing, again, how different Jesus is from John. So verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. Now John, get this, John, the, John B. is a great prophet. Remember, the nation was all stirred up. You go to Jerusalem and they were talking about John the Baptist and debating and remember later on, uh, John will come up, Jesus will raise the issue of John and his baptism. And, and the, even the religious, Jewish religious leaders say, we have to be very careful here, because they did not approve of John. But the people thought he's a prophet. And if we um, speak poorly of John, we, we'll lose the crowd and maybe cause a riot. Well, the people were impressed with him. But here's more importantly, what did Jesus think of John? Luke 7.28, again, I'm dropping right into the context. Jesus said, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. 
But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. But notice that what he's saying is, you know, when I think of the great prophets, I run to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He says, there is not a human being in history, any, no one born of woman, no prophet born of woman, greater than John the Baptist. I cannot imagine a higher endorsement. That's Jesus' view of John the Baptist. But John makes it very clear. He's not Jesus. Jesus, John says, he who comes from above is above all. He's above all. He is the Lord God who is greater than all. And so John makes it so, tries to make it so painfully clear. He is the Lord, the Lord God. And why is it? Because he comes from above. He comes from above. He came from earth, from heaven to earth. And so that's why you notice he, he repeats himself in this verse. He who comes from above is above all. He who is on the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from above is above all. He's above all because he came from heaven. Now, John, remember, Jesus said, anyone born of woman, and yes, Jesus in his humanity was born of a woman, but he also is God come in the flesh. And that's what John runs to. He came from above. He came from heaven. And since he came from heaven, why should it surprise you, disciples of John, that he gets the greater glory? He's above every human being. That would be greater than John the prophet, John the Baptist. That would be greater than the high priest in the temple in Jerusalem. That would be greater than Caesar in Rome. Because he's from heaven. He's above all. He's greater than all. But he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks the things of the earth. And so, so John makes it clear, I'm, I'm from here. I speak on a human level. Jesus came from heaven. Now, he fills that out a little bit when he goes on. Verse uh, 32 and 33, to, well, 32 to 35, he, he, he speaks of Jesus um, and, and his ministry of the word of God. In verse 32, what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. Because he's coming from heaven. He is telling us what he heard in heaven. What he saw in heaven as God. Jesus is a true witness. He's testifying. Now, if you've watched any court shows, you know, uh, uh, Perry Mason or whatever it might be, you know, one of the things you learn is if someone tries to introduce evidence because... I heard someone say, they heard someone say, that they'll be stopped right away. That's they call that hearsay evidence. You, know, you, you, know, you have to know it personally. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Were you there when this happened? No, but I heard some people talking about it. That doesn't matter. Who knows? Are you a witness? John is making it clear. Jesus is an eyewitness of heavenly things. He comes from heaven. There's not a prophet on earth that can make that claim. Jesus came from heaven. And he testifies 
what he knows. Now, you know, Jesus, John said, the one who is of earth speaks of earth. John is, is he, he, he's never been to heaven. He doesn't, he, you know, he cannot claim to be a witness. So he is a, he receives messages from heaven. John the Baptist, God the Holy Spirit, teaches him truth, guides him in what to say. But there's a world of difference between being a messenger, being given a message, and a witness who has firsthand knowledge of heaven. That's why Jesus stands out in history. There's been no one else like him. God coming to the world from heaven to tell us heaven's truth, heaven's message, and how we can be right with heaven and how heaven can be our home. Try to think of examples of that. Imagine you're going to take a tour of another land. You're going to go to Italy or someplace. And a tour guide is going to show you around. And, and so you're talking with them and say, so tell me, t- tell me your qualifications. I know everything about Italy. Well, that's great. Um, how often have you been there? Well, I have read every tour book written in the last 12 years. That's impressive. And I've watched I countless YouTubes. That's great. But you've never been to Italy? No. And then you can talk to another person. Oh, yeah. Born and raised in Italy. Studied in Italy Tour University. Uh, but I've been to all these sites. I've lived in this. I know the culture. I know all the, the, the great restaurants and the little coffee shops that everybody misses. Now, which one would you rather go with? My answer would be whoever's cheaper. <laughs> but, <laughs> but who do you think? You know, so that was John... He has received God's inerrant revelation, but he's still a messenger. John, John A., John the Apostle, John the writer of this gospel, started off by telling us, if, if you get nothing else, get this, Jesus is God in the flesh. There's not a teacher, not a prophet, not a minister, not anyone who can claim that. Stunningly, in verse 32, we read, What he's seen and heard, he testifies, Jesus, eyewitness of heaven, and no one receives his testimony. Now again, the language here is kind of um, uh, exaggerated, or if you want to use a fancier term, hyperbolic. He uses hyperbole. He's, he's, um, he's, He's using a big term, no one, because very few received his message. Jesus spoke to great crowds. He had 12 disciples. One fell away. In the upper room, meeting to, with those disciples were 120 people after three years of God and the flesh ministering on earth. The great majority of the nation, of the Jews, agreed with the decision to crucify him. Because he claims to be God. He claims to be Messiah. And so John writes, no, in spite of the fact that he's God in the flesh, no one receives his testimony. And that's borne out in some other passages. And again, for John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Now, some did. There's the 12 disciples. There's John the apostle who's writing this. But the great vast host rejected 
God in the flesh. How often have you heard people say, if only God would come to earth and tell us what we need to know? He did. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by in it. In other words, the great majority walk right past Jesus Christ. They don't want to hear his message, and so they reject it. No one receives his testimony. Now, verse 33, this will prove to you that John was just using kind of a figurative language. He who has received his testimony has testified that God is true. Right in verse 32, no one received his testimony. Now, for those who did receive his testimony, you see, so that shows you um, he's using kind of demonstrative. The great majority are on the wide path of rejecting Jesus Christ. But for the one who received his testimony has certified that God is true. Um, I don't know. How, I didn't look at a lot of translations to see that, but that word certified literally is sealed that God is true. That was the way you, you, you certified something was uh, legitimate. Not, you know, that comes to mind, it's kind of like a, a notary stamp. You, know, you can come in and say, here's a signed document. Is it notarized? I was thinking through the process when we were going through the adoption for, for Kendall uh, in Thailand. It was an incredible, not, to me, a nightmare might be a little strong, but it was a burdensome pile of bureaucracy. Uh, we had to you know, get all these documents signed, and so um, we had to get a local signature from, the, I guess, the, an adoption agency certifying you know, that we're, we passed all the you know, requirements, and so that had to be notarized. So our application, all this work, working through all these many pages, had to be notarized. But then we had to get the the state, uh, the Secretary of State of Texas, to confirm that the notary, who said that we're legitimate, that our notary was legitimate. So that had to be sent down to Austin, and it came back with a verification that the notary who verified us was legitimate, and we're legitimate. Then we had to send it to the Department of State in Washington, D.C. to confirm that the Secretary of State of Texas, who was confirming the local um, notary, who was confirming us, was legitimate. So this thing was all over the place. And this thing was kind of funny. By the time we sent it, there were these big seals and ribbons all over the thing, and off it went. And so the idea that the one who uh, believes him has sealed putting a stamp on it. So when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what you are saying is, God is true. You're saying, I'm putting my stamp on the truth of God's word. So most reject it. The great majority reject Jesus Christ. The one who does believe in Lord Jesus Christ is is what he is saying is, God is true in what he says. Then verse 34, John goes on for, He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. And so here we see Jesus came and he speaks God's truth because he's sent by God the Father from heaven. And 
He has the Spirit. He's not given the Spirit by measure. He is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so right in that verse, you see um, the kind of the whole Trinity is involved in Jesus' ministry. God the Son sent by God the Father with the full uh, and, uh, empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, why would God the Son need the Holy Spirit for his human side? The Holy Spirit enabled, equipped, guided him. And so, so, but here we see, just like at the baptism, here's God the Son coming out of the water. God the Father speaks from heaven. The Holy Spirit and the appearance of a dove comes upon him. And so this verse again says, God, the whole, all three persons of the Trinity are united in this message that this is God's message from heaven. Or if you can put it this way, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are confirming that Jesus is true. If, when, when you believe you're putting your stamp on it, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are putting their stamp on it. How many witnesses does it take to certify the truth of something? Two. So the Father and the Holy Spirit are certifying Jesus. But, but so John's trying to, to in some way communicate. I, am, I was born here. I'm, I'm, I'm just a man. God, the Holy Spirit, has, has enabled me to give his message. But I'm a messenger. The one I pointed out to you, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that's God coming down from heaven. With the mission given by the Father, with the enabling given by the Holy Spirit. And so, verse 35, John says to us, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Again, we see the full cooperation here of the, of the Trinity. That God the Father is, is entrusting all of this into his Son's hand. Again, do you see the Trinity involved? Matthew 3, 11, and Jesus said, I, I indeed, or John said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so when John thought about who Jesus is, I'm just, I'm just the greatest prophet that's ever lived. That's all I am. He's God of the flesh. And, and I, I'm not worthy to un, approach him to t- untie his shoes. Think of Moses when he stood in the presence of God. Remember the burning bush? He took his shoes off. He's on holy ground. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, woe was me, I'm undone. Remember when John the Baptist was approached by Jesus for baptism? John said, what? in a sense, what are you doing? You should be baptizing me. No, this is, this is God's purpose and plan. Go ahead, John. Let's do this. And so, so think of John as he's writing these words. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. You see John's wonder. John's worship. John's adoration. You see John's humble pride to think, and I was given the privilege of pointing people to him. 
Are you crazy? I would say to my disciples. Are you crazy thinking I'm going to be upset that God in the flesh, the Messiah of promise, is getting more attention than I am? What are you people thinking? But he doesn't do that. He's so gracious. But he lays it out for them. John's been hammering this point. Jesus is God from heaven. He's above all, and all glory is his. Do you have a clear view of Jesus? See, this was the problem. John's disciples, as well taught as they were, think about that, disciples of John the Baptist, they'd been in the presence of a prophet teaching for however long, for months. They still didn't have a clear view of who Jesus is. Frankly, Jesus' disciples still don't have a clear view of who Jesus is throughout much of this ministry. Do you have a clear view of who Jesus is? Do you understand that he is truly God and truly man, but he is God in all his glory come into, into the flesh? And that's why uh, I love Wesley's you know, that Christmas song, Veiled in Flesh the Godhead See. Veiled deity, covered, but fully, fully God. So do you understand that God came, dwelt among us to, to, to die for our sin, to solve our problem. And so, you know, apologetics and all that, when, when, when we talk about how can you argue, you know, the gospel, I, you know, when I go to talk about the proof of the scriptures or other issues, I, I take them to Jesus. Well, how do you know the Old Testament is true and accurate? It's really a, a true historical record. Jesus thought it was. Am I going to argue with God who came down from heaven? So, so point to Jesus. Point to Jesus. Don't be deceived by false religions. See, that's the thing. There's, there's lots and lots of religions out there. If someone comes to your door, or you're talking to someone, then they, they often would like to say, I'm a Christian. You know, you, great thing to ask them is tell me what does your church say or what does your group say who is Jesus now the Jehovah's Witnesses will be absolutely clear and dogmatic Jesus is not God they'll be offended if you say he is that's one of the rare times I I would say I'm kind of happy to offend (laughs) if you're offended by the deity of Christ well then let me step up and offend you I don't want to be offensive, but let me tell you the truth. And if the truth offends you, that, that's it. But I've had people just shocked when I said, oh, yeah, Jesus is God. They deny it. If you deny he's God, then you deny God's. You're, you are unwilling to put your stamp of approval on God's truth. Now, the Mormons take another approach. Well, they would say he's God, but, but, but God was once a man and you can become God. Yes, Jesus came down from heaven. We all do. Boy, does that take away God's glory? We all do? John, notice what John's saying. He's the only one who's come down from heaven. Everyone else, we're from the earth. Mormons say, no, actually, we all, um, we're actually all one big family from heaven. We're all just brothers and sisters of Jesus in heaven, and we just all come down one at a time. And once again, totally distorting and rejecting God's truth.
And we could go on. Again, I've mentioned a number of times the Muslim fellow that uh, mentioned I was a Christian. Oh, yes, we, we, think, we, we honor Jesus, too, as a great prophet. Nope. He's God. Blasphemy. In fact, they say he's a great prophet, just not as great as Muhammad. So the, the dividing line, what do you say of Jesus? He's truly God, truly man, uniquely come from heaven to earth. And therefore, uniquely authoritative because he's God. He knows the truth as an eyewitness. He knows the truth because he's fully God. And so Jesus is the only Savior because he is uniquely qualified. So don't be deceived by those who come and say that there are many paths to God. Well, how do I know there aren't? Once again, I, I pull out my, my trump card. Jesus said, there's only one way to God. John 14, we'll get it later in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Couldn't be more clear. Well, that's offensive. Again, if you're offended with God's truth, I can't help you with that. And so Jesus is uniquely qualified to be a Savior because he is God. No man from this place or that place, no, no uh, holy man from this place or that place can be a Savior. Because they're from this place or that place and Jesus is from God, heaven. He's God. And so as it says, he who received his testimony has certified God is true. Now then going on to verse 36. So, our now, so John has made it very clear. Okay, are you, Guys, you are, let me do it gently, confused. <laughs> I'm the messenger. He's the message. He's the message. And then he makes in this last verse, and it's very important, you get this clear. Your eternal destiny is determined by this issue. That's verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. By the way, those are the final words of John the Baptist in this gospel. That's his final words to us. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so again, there are not many roads to heaven. It's, it's either or. It's either or. Boy, our world hates that concept, isn't it? No, no, no. That's so dogmatic. That's so exclusive. Well, good, you're hearing me. And you're hearing Jesus. It's either or. It's either or. And notice too, watch your grammar here. The one who believes in Christ has eternal life. It is the immediate present possession, if you will, of the one who believes in Jesus Christ as Savior. Eternal life is not something we'll get when we get to heaven. He says, the one who believes in the Son has everlasting life. I've mentioned in the past at times H.A. Uh, Ironside, one of the Bible expositor of previous generation. 
And he said this, a friend of mine years ago preached on that very text. At the close of the meeting, as preachers sometimes do in smaller places, he went down to the door to greet the friends. A troubled, a lady troubled about her soul came along and he reached out his hand and said to her, well, how is it with you tonight? Are you saved? And she said, oh, I don't know, sir. I, I hope so. So Ironside said, well, or Ironside's friend said, well, let me show you this verse. He that believeth, believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Can you tell what translation that is? Do you believe on the Son? Oh, I do, sir. I do believe on him with all my heart. Well, then, have you everlasting life? I hope so. I hope I have. Read the verse again. She read it. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Do you believe on the Son? I do. Then have you everlasting life? I certainly hope so. I do hope so. Read it again, please. She read it again. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Do you believe on the Son? I do. Have you everlasting life? I hope so. Well, he said, I see what the trouble is. She said, what's the trouble? Why, when you were a girl, they spelled very differently from to what they did when I was a boy. She said, what do you mean? I'm not so much older than you. Well, he said, when you were a girl, H-A-T-H spelled hope. When I was a boy, H-A-T-H spelled hath. She exclaimed, hath. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. I'm going to have to get the rinse off the podium after all of that. Why, of course, I have it. Yes, I see it. I believe on the Son of God, and God says, I have everlasting life. And so she entered into peace. So notice some of the things we're saying. He who believes on the Son has put his, he's put his stamp of verification. He's, he's, he's put his whole, you know, if, if, if that, if the notary or the secretary of state or the secretary of, the secretary of Texas or of the United States, if they had lied, that'd be in big trouble. The one who believes on Jesus Christ is putting his everything, his reputation, staking his all on Jesus being God and his word being true. And also we're told that he who believes right now hath, has everlasting life. It's a current, permanent possession. And so well, some will struggle, well, yeah, but you, know, you can fall away. Was it everlasting life if it stops? It's kind of like everlasting batteries that don't. Um, it's, it's, it's forever. Now, by way of contrast, now notice the contrast. So he said, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And so he said there, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Now, continue on. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God. So there's your two options. You already have 
eternal life right now as you're here. Or you are right now abiding. Right now, so again, a present tense. Already, right now, God's wrath is upon you. We, and, and again, Jesus already expressed that before. And when he talked about, you know, you're under condemnation right now. But let me notice two things with you about this. this it's, it's a present situation, but notice, first of all, the word not believe. And here we begin looking at your translations, you might find different words. Technically, this is not the word for believe. So the one who believes in, in verse, first part of the verse... That's a different verb for believe than this one. This verb actually has the idea more of obedience. The one who believes has eternal life. The one who does not obey the Son. That's what it is. The one who does not obey the Son, the wrath of God abides on him. To believe in Christ is to obey him. To not believe is to disobey him. Unbelief is disobedience. We saw that earlier in this chapter, chapter 3, verse 20. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. He chooses, I don't want the light. He chooses away from God. You can see it again in Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. In other words, they choose not to obey Jesus Christ. They choose not to believe Jesus Christ. And so obey and believe are synonyms. A believing faith is an obeying faith, or a believing faith is a behaving faith. That's one of the concepts that I've, I've, that's really come clear and clear year after year as I study Scripture. Uh, fundamental to believing in Jesus Christ is a spirit of submission. I bow before Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is my Lord. Obedience is an essential part of believing faith. And so that's why believers, submission comes naturally to them. Submission to authority is inherent in a Christian because that's what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's who we are. We bow to the authority of Christ, and we bow to the authorities that he's established in this world. Again, going back to the Ten Commandments, what's the first commandment that's directed towards our relationship with people? The first four, how do we relate to God? Don't use his name in vain, etc. The first one related to our relationship to man is not don't murder. It's not don't commit adultery. It's honor your father and mother. Because honoring authority is the essence of what it means to bow before Jesus Christ. And that's why, for example, if he says, you know, love God, love your neighbor. If you truly love God, you're going to love your neighbor. First John makes that more and more clear. You cannot say you love God and hate his children. It's just, you don't love God if you hate his children. Next question. And so in the same way John is saying here, if you believe but disobey, you don't believe. Now, yeah, we stumble in all that, but inherent in saving faith is an obedient, submissive faith. 
Again, John 3.18, he already made it clear. He who believes in, uh, uh, it's, I guess I want to come back to the, that was point one. Believing faith is obeying faith. Point two is the issue of wrath. That's almost unheard of in today's churches. It's hard enough if you use the word sin. We must prefer mistake, problem, issues. We stay away from words like rebellion, wrath, iniquity. Um, And we don't like the word wrath. But there it is. He says, the wrath of God is right now. So if you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, right now, God's wrath is on you and will be for eternity. Again, we saw this back in verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So it's like uh, if you go into, you know, pay your fine, you don't go and argue, um, well, I don't think I should pay this. The, court, the judge already decided that. You're guilty. You're going to pay the fine or not? Well, didn't the judge give you the money to pay the fine? You're going to pay the fine? And so the point is, you are right now under the wrath of God. And Jesus Christ says, you don't need to be. Come unto me. Trust in me. And find forgiveness. So, do you have a believing, obeying faith? If so, you have everlasting life. Period. If you do not have a believing, obeying faith in Christ, the wrath of God abides on you. And it's hard for me to say that. Um, Matter of fact, I was reading in our notes from Sunday school, Mr. Spurgeon even gave some advice on how to speak of these issues. When you speak of heaven, let your face light up with a heavenly gleam. Let your eyes shine with reflected glory. And when you speak of hell, well, then your usual face will do. (laughs) When I speak of the wrath of God to you, I'm doing it in love and all humility. Brother, sister, I was under the wrath of God and deserving of it until I fled to Christ and received his gracious offer of forgiveness and life. You do not need to stay under his wrath. Right now you can trust in him as Savior. In a moment, we are going to worship together by remembering what he did for us. The bread represents the body on the cross. The cup represents and reminds us of the blood shed for us. When we think of the fact that we came into this world already condemned, that cross is such a precious gift to us. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, then join in celebrating with us in the communion. If you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we lovingly asking you to refrain because when you partake, you're declaring, I'm a follower of Christ. And if you're not, you wouldn't want to say you are. So... Uh, we invite you to join with us in the worship of Jesus Christ and the elements.
Let's pray before we go to the table. Father, do thank you for your word. We thank you for the faithfulness of your servant, John the Baptist, who was so honored to be the messenger of Christ and yet was so clear his message was Jesus. Father, may our clarity be just as bold, just as clear, just as gentle as John the Baptist was with his disciples. I pray it in Jesus' name and ask your blessing as we come to this table. Amen.